You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Um, during the giving series of 2022, I, I made this decision that seemed good in the moment, but probably proved more of an issue than it was helpful. If you were here last year, I made this personal goal that I shared with the church called uh, Minimalist 2022. Um, simply, I had created this list of rules for myself in hopes that it might kill some of this materialistic-like mentality that I think we, we all struggle with. And so early 2022, I got on my phone and uh, created this list just to highlight some of these uh, self-inflicted rules I wrote. I can't purchase any material um, or digital items, so that's clothes, shoes, tech, fishing poles, guns, digital content, etc. Can't go out to eat alone, including fast food, and can't buy uh, any snacks at the gas station. Now, my wife uh, specifically told me, she said, you know if you share that in front of the church that they're going to hold you accountable uh, to that. And um, I ignored her comment, did it anyway. And like too often, she was right. And so slowly and surely, people would ask me about it. So spring of 2022, my reply was, yeah, like it's actually going uh, pretty great. I'm sticking with it. Um, Summer of 2022, my reply was, yeah, it's all right. Uh, slipped up a few times, but I, I think I'm, I'm learning along the way here. Uh, fall of 2022, my reply was, yeah. Um, you just quit asking me about it. Uh, <laughs> no one's perfect. December of 2022, my reply was, yeah, I failed on that one. Um, so here we are. I failed my own test, minimalist 2022. Did not pan out as well as I thought it would. Um, but I am thankful I did it, and I'm thankful for two reasons. One, rules, they encourage us to be better. And then rules expose what's in our heart. Which is truly the reality of the law of the Bible. That the law of the Bible, it's not designed for you to be perfect on your own accord, which is often just how we read it. Like, we read this Bible as a, as a list, list of rules that we need to live up to. But that's a very inaccurate, or at the very least, unhelpful way to read God's Word. See, laws or rules of the Bible are designed for us to grow in righteousness, but also designed to expose what's in our heart. Simply, like, when, when you and I, when we read the Bible, we're like, I just have this constant feeling I don't measure up. You're supposed to feel that way. The Bible digs into our hearts, exposes what needs surgery, and then drives us to Christ. It's Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts, the intentions of the heart. Which means this like entire giving series, or any series that I'll ever do, it, like it's not designed to guilt you into doing something. 
I, I, I don't do this series every year, so make the church feel weird and we can all have these awkward conversations about money. That's not what this is about. We teach on giving so we can all grow in righteousness in this area. We teach on giving so the word can expose our hearts and say, you know what, maybe we're not as generous as we think we are. It begins, it starts, it ends with what's in your heart and what's in my heart. Which is why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what, what comes out of your mouth, what comes from our actions, is it's actually this overflow of what has set up camp in our heart. I mean, after all, that, that's what God wants most of all. Like more, more than your time, more than your money, God wants your heart. He's not some lonely, broke savior. He is God over all, sovereign over all. Which is why we will land this plane in, on the seri- of the series on the heart. That God wants your heart. Let me show you what that practically looks like from Colossians. Um, we'll be in Colossians 3, if you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV, um, which would be helpful. I'll jump around a little um, outside of the main text. But if you have a bulletin, all of the main text is there. But before we read and study together, let's pray. God, we, we humbly come before you. And, and we're tired of pretending to be someone we're not. We're exhausted of trying to pursue some sort of righteousness on our own. We're sick of not feeling good enough. God, as we, we open your word, may, may it have its way in our heart that it is good and right to pursue righteousness as, as we grow in Christ. But God, that the word also will expose us this morning. It exposes myself, that my heart is, it's just not where it needs to be at all times. God, that, that, that myself, that all of us, we would be driven to the cross of Christ this morning. Um, help us to see and understand uh, your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'll start in verse 12. I'll read the main passage for us. Verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Around A.D. 62, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's sitting in a Roman prison. He's writing a letter to a church that he more, li- more than likely has never even been to. Writing a letter to the church of the small city of Colossae, a, a city in Asia Minor, about 120 miles east of Ephesus. You can see it on the map. You have this like small agrarian city with a thriving economy that sold unique textiles and wool. Actually, it's just right in the heart of a major trade route from Colossae to Laodicea. And so while this town, it's just not a, a booming metropolis, it could handle its own. And in this town, um, there's a church that struggled. Like most churches today, it's, it's a church just, just struggling with, with false and dangerous teaching, specifically a kind of teaching that would downplay the supremacy of Christ and who we are, our identity in Christ as believers. And so Paul is writing this letter to show Christians who they're not so they can become who they are as new creations in Christ. Simply like if you're a Christian, let me show you how to act like one. So Paul, he's writing about the identity of believers beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. If you have a physical or digital Bible, you can track along there. But Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, he says, If then, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, like, if then you have been raised with Christ, if, being the qualifier of everything else he's about to share. Paul is not writing, like, if you grew up in church, if you listen to Christian music, if you have the Bible memorized, if you raise your hand when you were Uh, a kid at VBS, he wrote, if you've been raised with Christ, meaning like you aren't a Christian this morning if you've not died to yourself and have been raised with Christ, which is why he goes on to share what that death actually looks like in verses 5 through 11 of the same chapter. Let me at least just show you verse 5. He says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. That, that followers of Christ, I mean, we're putting to death sin in our own life. It, it's just not who we are anymore. And it does not mean you're not going to struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. It just means we're dead to the old way. It, it means we're just never going to go all the way back. And yet Christianity isn't just about what to avoid, it's also about what to pursue, which is where we land in verse 12 this morning, where Paul says in our text, 
put on then? Like carrying this obvious idea that like we're putting on clothes, like we're putting away these old grave clothes and putting on who God has called us to be. So I want to answer this question from the passage and in your notes. What should we put on our heart? And I, I realize that's a, that's a strange sounding question. Uh, I grew up in a, in a Bible Belt culture that constantly told me, uh, the Lord put on my heart, and then people would share whatever crazy thing came on their, out of their mind. Um, and I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't prompt us to do something, but that something is always grounded in Christ and in his word. Meaning God doesn't just put like random things on our hearts so we can do them. The Bible actually says that he writes the Bible on our heart. It says this in Hebrews 8 verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Meaning the only thing that the Lord puts on our heart is what is written in his word and the Holy Spirit prompting to fulfill it. Meaning the righteousness that we need to put on our heart this morning is only what we find in the word. That is what Paul will share with us today and to the church in Colossae, that, that as new creatures in Christ, we're called to put on these things in verses 12 through 17. Let me, let me highlight most of them today. What should we put on our hearts? If you're a note taker, here's point one. We put on a heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Verse 12, it starts off, put on then, and then he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Christians, like, do you know that is your identity? That if you, if you are in Christ, you are chosen. Even if everyone in your past has rejected you, everyone in your past has given up on you, you're picked by God and for God. And then you're also holy. Like you're set apart by God for God. You're, you're also beloved. Uh, even when those around you in their best efforts, they love you in this this fallen and broken way. Even if all you've ever known is an imperfect love that leaves you at times just so alone and disappointed. The God of the Bible calls you beloved. That he loves you fully and completely right now. And as wild as it seems, like God's love for you this morning, it, it doesn't grow as if God likes you now and he's putting up with you and then if you get your act together then he'll he'll love you more his love for you is full and complete this morning right now his children are declared beloved those in christ chosen ones holy beloved says put on compassionate hearts kindness and humility and meekness and patience attributes that are going after the heart and he gives us this list with a clarification in verse 13 bearing with one another if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, so the main direction of Paul's writing here 
is how the church should treat each other. The main purpose of like putting on these things is so that we might know how to handle each other at East River Park. Because the truth is, like, there's not a person here that's just always compassionate, always kind, humble, meek, patient. And I mean, I want to be, I'm trying to, to put on these things from God's word, but I'm, I'm not always a compassionate preacher. And sometimes ministry, it just makes you like, it turns you into some sarcastic church cynic. And, and you're, not, you're not always meek or kind. None of us are at all times, which means we're going to hurt each other. We're going to let each other down. We're not always going to be there for one another like we should. We're not always going to say the right words when someone's hurting. Sometimes we just say the wrong words. Which is why Paul is pleading with the church Just bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Forgive each other when someone says something sharp or mean to you. Forgive each other when you think that the church leaders are just not being as compassionate as you think they should be. Why would we do that? Um, Well, verse 13 shares, because Christ has forgiven you. And by no means um, am I saying we should let sin off the hook. Uh, I'm not saying we ignore patterns of, of negative behavior in the church. I'm just saying we show each other a lot of grace and patience because Christ has shown us a lot of grace and patience. God has resurrected your dead heart. Christ has forgiven you, so we must have a heart of forgiveness with each other which is how I, I mean, I see all of this as a family, right? I mean, yeah, we're split up two services, but this is a church family, a local church family. And I don't know about your family, um, but families tend to get on each other's nerves. Um, and I think I've been here long enough to say uh, that y'all, I mean, y'all get on my nerves sometimes. Um, <laughs> And I've been here long enough to, uh, to definitely get on your nerves at times, and we must be patient with each other, have a heart of forgiveness toward each other. Like, I've, I've watched my children trying to put on a t-shirt, t-shirts before school, um, and they will at times put their head through the armhole, and I don't watch them and get angry, um, now, I might, I mean, I might laugh, but um, I'm not going to rage against them. They're, they're young. We've all been there, probably even as adults. So let's forgive each other because trying to put on righteousness is quite an often messy process. And some of us young in the faith, we're just going to be sticking our head through some armholes for quite a while. And even those mature in the faith often do the same. We put on a heart that that forgives each other because the Lord has forgiven you. We 
should put on our hearts? What should we put on our hearts? Let me point to, we put on a heart of love. So verse 14, it says, um, and above all these, put on love. Reminding us of 1 Corinthians, verse 11 of chapter 3, it starts as, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I mean, what, a, what an awesome verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I, even above faith and hope, the greatest is love. First Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, log on to Facebook and argue with every Christian that posts things that you don't like online. The text actually says, therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Like, even though the end of all things is at hand, even though we must be self-controlled, sober-minded in our prayers, above all those things, love each other. Like, we, we put on this heart of love because it's, it's just pretty impossible to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, and forgiving if you don't love each other. Verse 14 tells us it binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I get it. I think we're all pretty confused about that right now. Um, at least for me, it's, it's so obnoxious to live in a culture that thinks perfect harmony is, is found when we cancel one another that just disagrees with whatever agenda is on the table. The truth is, perfect harmony isn't for the culture, it's for the church. Perfect harmony is not found in always agreeing with each other. Perfect harmony is found when individuals are filled with Christ and what he says goes. It's a love for each other that like, can only be found when Christ is involved. A love that, that, that surpasses race and economic divides. A love for each other as a new creation. We have the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts. So even if the world burns, we have shalom in our hearts. And I really know that we want that. I know things feel upside down at times. I know there can be a fog of despair in our lives. I know there can be a heaviness that it just feels like it's going to crush. So even if it all burns, and even if it, if, if it doesn't get better, Verse 15 is the reminder of shalom that 
We know everything's going to be okay because we have Christ. It's like it's that kind of love and peace that rules in our hearts. So you, you put those kinds of people in a room together. You put those kinds of people in a local church together. You, you truly have found one body. Let it be so, this church. We put on a heart of love. Three. We should put on, what should we put on our heart? We, we put on a heart that dwells richly in the word. So not only will the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, verse 16 tells us the word of Christ will dwell richly in us. So it's, it's this idea that we don't read the, the Bible quickly so we can get it over with. We dwell on it. We meditate on it. We pray it. We think about it. We apply it. This idea that we don't just read the word occasionally. It's rich in our lives. It's abundant. A word written on our walls and homes. A word studied and researched. So Christians are falling. Churches are failing. Because the word is used as a prop for human programming and events. And I know people are hungry for the word. And church leaders have spent decades filling their bellies with ministry tricks. So yeah, the world is not killing the church. Just like all of church history, we just do it to ourselves. Let this be a church full of individuals that dwell richly on the word of God. Let this church be a church that echoes the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 16 of chapter 15, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy, a delight of my heart, for I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Let this church echo the words of the psalmist. 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's new creations. We, we dwell richly on the word of Christ. And Paul, Paul's focus here in the text is not just on the entirety of the word from Genesis to Revelation, but specifically what Christ has done. So verse 15 of the text should be understood as the word about Christ, meaning we, we dwell on what Christ has done for us, that so the gospel dwells richly in us. I mean, after all, like none of y'all are reading your Bible if you can't see Christ in all of your Bible. I mean, that's what drives us to, to unity, not just a church full of Bible nerds. And I mean, I can be that at times. A church is driven to unity because it craves the gospel of the Bible. I mean, that's why we get the overflow of the rest of verse 16. We teach and admonish one another in all wisdom that comes from the Bible. We sing songs of all variety and all styles, from psalms to hymns to spiritual songs that exalt the name of Christ from the Bible. So our worship on Sunday, like it's not some mixtape so everyone can enjoy the pre their own preference on Sunday morning. Our worship is, is filled with a Bible-saturated variety of style, and all of it should lift up the name of Christ. I mean, that's why we gather. We gather to study the Word. We gather to encourage each other. We gather to sing, not because you like every song. I don't like every song. Sorry, Isaac. Murmur, <laughs> murmur. <laughs> 
We gather to lift up the name of Christ. That's why you get yourself ready on Sunday morning. That's why you gather in person and not online. To gather with the saints to encourage each other in Christ. Four. What should we put on our heart? We put on a heart of thankfulness. I mean, three times in the text this morning, we hear this encouragement to have a heart of thankfulness. So end of verse 15, be thankful. End of verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This heart that's grateful for, for what it has, heart that's overjoyed of how God has blessed, a, a heart that's thankful for what Christ has done. Like everything that we've discussed in the passage this morning hinges on a thankful heart. I mean, because the truth is, I mean, if you're not thankful this morning, I promise you you're not generous. You hear a message like this, and you think, I mean, I wish people would be compassionate to me. I wish people would be more kind um, or humble or meek, patient, forgiving to me. I just wish people would be more, more loving to me. I wish people would, would say more encouraging things to me. I mean, what a selfish attitude boiling over from a selfish heart. That being generous isn't waiting around for someone to minister to you. It's being thankful for what you have and then finding ways to minister to others. This radical overflow of a heart that's put on forgiveness, put on love, put on the word, put on thankfulness, church unity flowing from a heart that just worships Christ over everything else. Heart of thankfulness. 2017, um, I had a minor procedure done. We were up in northern Illinois at the time, so in Rockford, Illinois. It wasn't something I loved to do, but a necessary procedure. And so I remember waking up post-op in the room. Uh, my wife, Corey, was waiting for me to come too. I remember seeing her. I remember being at the house. I don't know how she got me home, but we got home. And just an interesting experience. And so a few weeks later, I uh, got the results. Everything was normal. A few weeks after that, we got the bills. And uh, had insurance, but still like thousands of dollars for this simple procedure. And it made me sick. Like, we had three little kids at the house to feed. So I called their uh, billing department, set up a payment plan uh, to get everything taken care of. And then uh, about a year after that, we finally paid off this bill. And it felt so good to put that behind us. It felt so good to log in and then just see zero, zero balance. Little over a year later, I got a surprise letter in the mail uh, from the doctor's office. And, they informed me of the wonderful news uh, that they did an audit on the account and that they had messed up some of the billing from insurance and I owed them another $300. So 
Uh, immediately, I called, trying to state my case. They wouldn't budge. Called a good friend <clears throat> in the medical field and explained like how unfair all this was. Um, and he felt bad. He, he told me like, "Hey, this this happens a lot, um, and you can fight it, but you're probably still going to have to pay it." All those payments I faithfully made to them, and it wasn't enough. Like I hated it. I hate it. So I'm worried this morning. I'm worried. I'm worried that we really think about our relationship with God as if it's some billing department. As if the Bible is a bill that demands payment of our time and our money. As if it feels like we're just, like we're, it's never enough. We're never going to pay this off. As if serving and financially giving to the kingdom is just like, it's just something we do so the heavenly collection agency doesn't come after us. Like, no wonder we hate sermon series like this. For so many of us, I mean, this series, like, it just feels like a, a yearly bill we got to pay. The very good and obvious news the bill's already been paid in full. That Christ took the wrath of God on our behalf and then gave us his righteousness. That the bill has not just been paid in full, he loaded your bank account with his righteousness. That's not something to dread, it's something to sing about. Revelation 5 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, by your blood you ransomed people for God, every tribe, language, people, and nation. The bill has been fully paid. So we aren't called to put righteousness on a dead heart, but a new heart. A heart that, that sings and worships Christ above self, above everything else. When you understand that, it changes everything. Because true worship is an overflow of the heart that's put on the righteousness of Christ. So for whatever, whatever it's worth, your summary point is worship is rooted in what we put on our heart. For Christ has paid it all. We sang it this morning, didn't even plan it. Christ has paid it all. That's why we see giving as an act of worship. So if you want to talk about anything from this series or questions about the passage, you want to give your life to Christ, maybe you've never been baptized, uh, we'd just love to talk with you after the service, but... Let's pray and then we'll sing together. God, thank you for your word. And just a, a confession, even in the first service, how much of my own ministry motivation is it, it, just people pleasing. It's just wanting this church to do well in the world's eyes just wanting to not be called a failure it's just
trying to find favor with you on my own. God, we confess we do it all the time. God, we want this to be an overflow of our worship for you. At hearts that have put on the righteousness of Christ, hearts that magnify and exalt the name of Christ over self, over dreams, over um, ideologies, over what we wish this church would become, over which, what we wish our lives would become. God, we worship you this morning. Help, help my, myself and help this church um, uh, to worship you with our heart, that you want our heart. And we pray these things uh, in your son's name. Amen.